0: Hill, Thanks for tuning in to Amy on the Hill, a podcast born out of Jesus' teaching in Matthew chapter 5, verse 14, which says, You are the light of the world, a city set on a hill, Welcome back to the podcast. This is Amy. As you know, we're currently reading through the Gospel of Mark and considering Timothy Keller's book, Jesus the King. As we get started today, I'm going to open us up in prayer. So please, uh, whatever you're doing, wherever you are, let's just try to take a breather for a second. Try to quiet your heart for a moment and let's ask the Lord to do a work through our time today. Our Father, we come to you in Jesus' holy name. Thank you for hearing our prayer today. Please help us to quiet our hearts before you. Help us to take a beat here and separate from our distractions so we can fully enter into a time of sincere prayer with you now. We love you, Lord, and we long to know you more. We find our rest only in you And we know that's true. We know that's true because we have this constant nagging longing within us. It's a longing that seems unquenchable no matter what we get, no matter what we achieve. We're all longing and the root of our longing is for you. Today, God, please minister to us in that longing. Meet us right there. We'd love to be able to see you, embrace you, and hear your voice, but the time for that hasn't come yet because now we're a generation uh, that's living by faith in what we do not see. We're fixing our eyes not on what is seen, but on what is unseen. For what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. And God, that's hard for us. You know it is. The Bible even says that we groan inwardly as we eagerly uh, wait for adoption and for the redemption of our bodies, for it is in this hope that we are saved. Um, It goes on to say that now hope that is seen is not hope for who hopes in what he sees, but if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it with patience. So Lord, we pray that by your Spirit, You would help us to be patient as we wait for you. Please refresh us as we continue through this study. Please help us with our reading. Please speak to us through your word and please minister through this discussion today. Please use all of this to draw us closer to you and to each other, we pray in Jesus' name, amen. Okay, so how did it go this week? If you're reading along, you know that this week we read Mark chapters 8 and 9 from the Bible. And from Timothy Keller's book, Jesus the King, we read chapters 9 and 10. And so these chapters of the Bible and of the book will be the basis for our discussion today. If you're a new listener to the podcast, as always, I want to welcome you. Feel free to listen in, even if you're not reading along or even if you are reading, but you've gotten behind in your reading. It's really uh, not a requirement that you read along in order to benefit from this podcast. I think you'll uh, be really blessed by reading along. And so I definitely want to encourage that. But again, you're welcome to listen in either way. There's a lot of good stuff here even if you're not reading. Also, if you're interested in checking out our reading schedule, you can view it uh, anytime under the resources section of my website, amyonthehill.com. Okay, so again, this past week we read Mark chapters 8 and 9 from the Bible, and from Jesus the King we read chapters 9 and 10. And I'm sure um, you noticed if you're reading along the book of Mark and Keller's book, Jesus the King took a shift this week. Uh, That was most obvious in Jesus the King because at the conclusion of chapter 9, we finished part 1 of the book, The King, the Identity of Jesus, and we started part 2 of the book, The Cross, the Purpose of Jesus. And you'll remember that Keller set us up for this shift back in the before section of our reading. So very early on in the book, Keller explained that Mark's account of Jesus's life is presented to us in two symmetrical acts. The first act is his identity as king over all things, and that's in Mark chapters one through eight. And the second act is his purpose in dying on the cross, and that's in Mark chapters nine through 16. And so this book that we've been reading, Jesus the king, is structured in two parts. The king and the cross. And so again, this week we read Mark chapter eight, uh, Mark chapters eight and nine, but Mark chapter eight, Keller described as a pivotal chapter that marks the climax of the first act in which the disciples finally begin to see the true identity of the one they have been following and what the disciples are finally beginning to see is that Jesus isn't just a king. Jesus is a king who is going to a cross, and anyone who is truly following Jesus has to go to the cross too. Uh, And I thought a good way to start off today would be to briefly review some of what we have learned so far about jesus the king so before we transition to jesus the king who goes to a cross i want us to quickly rehash what we've learned about jesus so far okay so let's do that now Uh, if you're new to the podcast if this uh, list of some of the attributes of jesus the king is new to you and you're interested in going deeper into any of the things on this list that i'm about to run through Please listen for the title of the chapter. I'm going to mention the chapter from which we learned each of these qualities, each of these attributes, so that you can read that chapter of Jesus the King, or you can go back and listen to that podcast, because again, I'm just giving a rundown of what we've learned so far here. I'm not going to be citing scripture or giving extensive explanation, uh, because we already went through these things at length in our Prior chapters of the book and on prior episodes of the podcast, okay? Okay, so first in chapter one, the dance, we learned that Jesus is a king who doesn't need worshipful love to give him joy. In our reading this week, Keller reminded us that Jesus lived for endless ages in glory with the Father. Um, so Jesus had no lack of. Uh, in relationship, that he needed us to fill. And he doesn't need us presently, not even uh, to get worship from us. As Keller taught, he didn't create us to get joy, but to give it. In chapter two, The Call, we learned that a relationship with King Jesus is a gift that we receive by sheer grace. We did not And we cannot earn our way into a relationship with Jesus. Our relationship with King Jesus was initiated by Jesus and made possible by Jesus alone. Also in chapter 2, we learn that King Jesus does not share his throne. In Keller's words, Jesus is saying, knowing me, loving me, resembling me, serving me must become the supreme passion of your life. Everything else comes second. And so again, King Jesus will not share his throne with anyone or anything else in our lives. In chapter 3, the healing, we learned that King Jesus is concerned with our healing over our happiness. Jesus isn't interested in granting our wishes because he loves us. He's determined to go deeper. He wants to get to the source of our hurt and our pain. And for us, that, that can be painful. That can be confusing. We often struggle to understand God because of this, but he is passionate about satisfying our deepest longings, which often go painfully far beyond the wants and needs that we think we have. In chapter four, the rest, we learn that King Jesus came to end religion. Because Jesus fulfilled all righteousness, we can rest in his finished work. King Jesus came to give us rest from the work of self-justification. In chapter five, the power, we learn that King Jesus is a good king. He's a king that can be trusted. But he doesn't always promise to be safe. King Jesus does allow people he loves to go through storms. And he wants us to trust him in the midst of those storms. Similarly, we learned uh, that we can't control King Jesus or manipulate him or bribe him or enter into a merit-based contract with him. He will not submit to us. He will not owe us. He will not be tricked by us or guilt-tripped by us or enticed by our behavior or promises. Jesus is king, and kings do not submit to their servants. In chapter 6, the waiting, we learned uh, King Jesus will not be hurried. In the words of Keller, uh, his sense of timing will confound ours, and his grace rarely operates according to our schedule. In chapter 7, the stain, we learn that King Jesus will always give it to us straight. He'll not tell us what we want to hear. He'll always tell us what we need to hear. He's going to force us to confront our fears, our hurts, our greed, our unforgiveness, our judgment, our hypocrisy, our sloth, our idols, all of our dirt. Uh, because King Jesus keeps it real with us. He loves us more than any of us could truly ever conceive. And because of that, he's not interested in flattering us or allowing us to flatter ourselves. In chapter 8, The Approach, we learn that King Jesus will deal with each one of us individually depending on what we need. He doesn't uh, respond to all people the same way every time, he responds according to our individual needs. And when we recognize our desperate need for him, when we see ourselves for who we are, and when we see him for who he is, and when we cry out to him and call upon his name, King Jesus responds to us. Over the past four weeks, we've gotten to know Jesus the King. And we've seen he's not a king we can put in our pocket and call upon to do our bidding according to what we want. he He's the king. He has infinite power, wisdom, love, provision, understanding, patience, kindness, goodness, and more. Uh, and we can't Put him in a box. We can't come to the end of him. We can't always understand him. But he can be trusted because he loves us. King Jesus loves us. He loves us so much. So much that we'll see King Jesus isn't just a king. He's a king who went to a cross, and anyone who truly wants to follow him has to go to the cross, too. In chapter 8 of the Gospel of Mark, Jesus asked his disciples, Who do people say that I am? And he said this plainly and peter took him aside and began to rebuke him but turning and seeing his disciples he rebuked peter and said get behind me satan for you are not setting your mind on the things of god but on the things of man okay so things have suddenly taken a turn peter rightly identifies jesus as the christ uh, like the gospel of mark the gospel of matthew also uh, gives us an account of this conversation. And according to the gospel of Matthew, when Peter said that Jesus is the Christ, Jesus replied to Peter, blessed are you, Simon, uh, son of Jonah, for this was not revealed to you by flesh and blood, but by my father in heaven. And I tell you uh, that you are Peter and on this rock, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. So here Jesus is confirming what the disciples have come to believe, that Jesus is the promised Messiah. Jesus is the one they have been waiting for. Jesus is the Christ. And and then the Bible says that Jesus uh, plainly began to teach them that the son of man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and the chief priests and the scribes and be killed. And after three days rise again, and at this, Peter takes Jesus aside and starts rebuking him. The thing that stood out to me this time as I read through this book was something I read on page 116. It's page uh, 116 of the paperback. I'm not sure if it's the same if you have a hardcover copy, but it Keller explained that when Peter heard that Jesus must endure suffering, Peter realized uh, that Jesus' suffering would also mean suffering for Peter as well. And and that made Peter furious because Peter had an agenda, and uh, his agenda led from strength to strength, and it didn't include suffering. Uh, Remember, um, we learned from Keller that from childhood, uh, Peter had always been told that the Messiah, when the Messiah came, he would defeat evil and injustice by ascending to the throne. Um, Never before this moment had anyone in Israel connected suffering with the Messiah. The notion that the Messiah would suffer made no sense at all uh, because the Messiah was supposed to defeat evil and injustice and make everything right in the world. But here Jesus is saying, yes, I am the Messiah. I am the King, but I came not to live, but to die. I'm not here to take power, but to lose it. I'm not here to rule, but to serve. And that's how I'm going to defeat defeat evil and put everything right. And so when Peter hears Jesus saying uh, that he has purpose to suffer. And when Peter sees that Jesus is not working from Peter's agenda, Peter rebukes him because Peter believed that by teaming up with Jesus, he was heading straight for the top. But now Jesus is telling Peter uh, that teaming up with him means heading not for the top, but for the cross, towards suffering, toward death. And so Peter rebukes him. Now, sitting on this side of the cross, having the perspective we have, it might be tempting for us to shake our head at Peter. Uh, We might be inclined to judge Peter for responding this way. But I don't think we should be too hard on Peter because I think we do this too, even today. And what I mean is that I think whenever... We realize that following Jesus, that submitting to Jesus as Lord means suffering. Our flesh bucks at that. We want Jesus to rise up in power over our situation and take us along with him. We don't want to allow Jesus to take our situation to the cross. We want Jesus to come in power and do what we've got planned. But Keller challenged us by saying, if your agenda is the end, then Jesus is just the means, you're using him. But if Jesus is the king, you cannot make him the means to your end. Today, I wanna to talk about one particular area of my life uh, that was very difficult for me to submit to Jesus. And it still is at times, but I've had a lot of victory in this area in recent years. And um, several years ago, God actually used Keller's writing in this chapter of this book to help me get freedom over this. And so I want to talk about that today. And what I want to talk about is forgiveness. Do you remember the portion of this chapter that talked about forgiveness in my book? It's on page 109 and it came under the subtitle, A Legal Necessity. And just to refresh your Memory, this is where Keller explained that whenever there's a wrong, a debt is established that has to be paid by someone. And he gave a hypothetical situation in which a friend accidentally smashes your lamp that's worth $100. And Keller explained that even if you forgive your friend, there's still a loss to you. Forgiveness has cost you something. In this situation, forgiveness will either cost you your lamp or it's going to cost you the hundred dollars that it would cost you to replace the lamp. So forgiveness isn't free. And I don't know, I don't know if this hits anyone else the way it hit me when I read this several years ago, but forgiveness made sense to me in a whole new way when I thought of it like this. It was almost to me like forgiveness up to that point meant you know, like pretending whatever happened never happened. And that just felt unjust. It felt impossible. It didn't make sense to me. But understanding it this way, understanding it the way Keller explained helped me to see that forgiveness is just. It is fair. It's just taking the cost It's taking the cost and bearing the cost of someone else's wrong. It's taking the cost of that and paying for it on behalf of the other person. And so there isn't this fake world in which, you know, I forgive you, like poof, it never happened. But instead, I forgive you. I will pay for that. I will bear that. It is costing me, but I will cover it because... Jesus covered it for me. And of course, that's exactly what Jesus did for us on the cross. He paid a debt. We were straight up unable to pay. And even though forgiveness uh, comes at no cost to us, it came at great cost to him. But he paid for it. He bore it. He covered the cost. And so when he tells us that to follow him, we have to go to the cross, he wants us to do the same for others. As he forgives our trespasses, he also wants us to forgive those who trespass against us. Because in extending forgiveness to others, even when it's grossly undeserved forgiveness, we demonstrate Christ's love to the people in our lives. And for me, that made all the difference in getting the freedom that I needed to forgive. 10, the mountain, which is the first chapter in part two of the book. We looked at Mark chapter nine, verses two through eight. And what I loved as I was reading through this part of Mark uh, is realizing that here Jesus takes Peter, James, and John up a high mountain by themselves just six days after this get thee behind me Satan moment. And I just loved that. I appreciated that so much because Jesus clearly isn't holding a grudge here. You know, Peter just got slammed with this get behind me Satan moment. And six days later, he's heading up the mountain with Jesus. And I think that's beautiful. Um, Not only because Jesus is is welcoming Peter up the mountain, but also because uh, these guys are still with Jesus themselves. And Jesus has told them That he's going to suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and chief priests and scribes and killed. Which, as Keller pointed out to us in the last chapter, that has some serious implications for the disciples as well. Because if Jesus is going to suffer like this, then the agenda won't be going from strength to strength as they had originally thought. They were on a different path. But these three men, all of the disciples, are still with Jesus. And the four of them are heading up this mountain. And here we read that Jesus was transfigured before them. Elijah and Moses appeared and everyone, including the disciples, are surrounded and embraced by the brilliance of God. And Keller explains that these three disciples on the mountaintop experienced worship, which Keller Uh, defined as a preview of the things that all of our hearts are longing for, whether we know it or not. We seek it in art, in romance, in the arms of our lovers and our family. And uh, Keller went on to quote C.S. Lewis in The Weight of Glory, who addressed our deepest desire as the promise of glory, which Lewis defined as a good rapport with God, Acceptance by God, response, acknowledgement, and welcome into the heart of things, which according to C.S. Lewis, we long for because at present there is something in the universe from which we now feel cut off. We long to be on the inside of some door which we've always seen from the outside. And that is no mere neurotic fancy, but the truest index of our real situation because at present, we are on the outside of the world, the wrong side of the door, but all the leaves of the New Testament are rustling with the rumor that it will not always be so. Someday, God willing, we shall get in. And Keller teaches us that In having this experience on the mountaintop, the disciples have had a foretaste of what we're all longing for because the disciples here have entered into worship. And this God will use to equip them for ministry, a ministry that will require them to take up their cross and follow Jesus. And Keller writes... God is preparing the disciples for the test they will face when their leader is taken from them. In writing, Keller asks us, have you ever had that kind of experience when the compassion and love of another person helped you deal with your suffering? When someone's unconditional approval and encouragement transformed your fear into resolve when an encounter with beauty seemed to neutralize your anxiety and give you hope. And if you got that kind of help more often, wouldn't you be different? Wouldn't trouble make you wiser, deeper, and stronger instead of bitter and hard and joyless? Wouldn't suffering make you more compassionate rather than more cynical about human nature? Wouldn't failure be more likely to be productive in your life? Of course it would. But Keller says, here's the question. How are you going to get more of that kind of approval? How are you going to get more of that kind of encouragement, that kind of love without burning out your friends and family with your neediness? And I literally drew a crying laughing emoji in the margin of my book after this question and wrote in capital letters with three exclamation points indeed how are you going to get more of that kind of approval more of that kind of encouragement more of that kind of love without burning out your friends and family with your neediness you can't you can't and as keller teaches us here the answer is for us as it was for the disciples Uh, worship the answer is worship keller says it's one thing to know That the glorious creator God loves you, cares for you, holds you. But it's another thing. It's another thing to sense it, to experience it. Whatever life brings you, you will need those foretastes to nourish and strengthen you. Now, I'm aware uh, that there are a lot of different people uh, participating in this podcast uh, some people are probably out there nodding their heads like, Yes, totally worship. Wow, I totally get that. Yes. And others of you, I'm sure, are like, What in the heck, in the heck, in the heck does worship mean? How do I worship? How do I have that kind of experience with God? And I just wanted to touch on that. Um, Keller did write in this chapter that the transfiguration was not just a miraculous Parlor trick, and you know, that's true. Worship is not a miraculous parlor trick. Uh, When we have this type of experience, uh, it is a work of God, it's not something that we can whip up ourselves. Um, But as we worship God in His timing and according to His will, God will often give us glimpses uh, of of really how deep uh, his love is for us according to you know what we need in that moment. Um, Jesus taught us in John chapter 4 verses 23 through 24 that the hour is coming and is now here when true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth for the Father is seeking such people to worship him God is spirit and those who worship him must worship In spirit and truth Uh, according to the Holman New Testament commentary on the book of John to worship in spirit reflects an attitude of the heart which acknowledges God and his sovereignty over our lives also according to the Holman uh, New Testament commentary on John we worship in truth by worshiping in accordance with the truth which means honestly biblically and centered on christ the location of worship and the style of worship are not so um important as long as the worship is honest so long it is as it is biblical meaning it is consistent with the teaching of the bible and is so long as it is centered on christ so A lot of you, when you think of worship, you are probably thinking of worship music. And for sure, uh, listening to and singing worship and praise music is a powerful way to worship. Music has a lot of power to influence our minds and affect our spirit. Um, And so it's very important to worship God through uh, music with true uh lyrics that are consistent with god's word if you've never listened to worship music um, i did want to talk about that a little bit there are all different styles of christian music out there depending on what type of music you like again um, the style of worship music is not uh important so long as the worship is honest so long as it's biblical meaning it's consistent with the teaching of the bible and so long as it's centered uh, on Christ. If you live in the Philadelphia, South Jersey area, you can check out K Love Radio at 106.9 FM. K Love uh, even has what's called the K Love Challenge. Uh, And I believe that's a challenge to listen to K Love for 30 days straight in order to see how God uses truth filled music to change your mind and heart. And I realize if you've never really listened to Christian music before, uh, that may seem corny to you. But I do want to encourage you to take that challenge because God uses music to help us sense, not just intellectually know, but to sense his love for us. God uses the lyrics of biblically sound music to renew our minds and transform us. So you definitely want to listen to Christian music. If you're not in the Philadelphia, South Jersey area, you can always check out klove.com to find your local station. I'm sure uh, K-Love has a station in your area. Also, parts of South Jersey can also tune into Air One on 89.5 FM. That's another great station. You can also pull up an Air One playlist on Spotify. K-Love might even have a playlist on Spotify. I'm not sure, but uh, you know you can listen to some of uh, my favorite music artists if you just want to Google them or buy their CD. I really love um, Audrey Assad, Britt Nicole, Uh, a band called Need to Breathe, um, Switchfoot. You guys know I love Switchfoot. If you like rap, uh, there's a great music artist called Lecrae. Uh, If you like Mumford and Sons style of music, you would probably like the band called All Sons and Daughters. Those are just some suggestions off the top of my head. But I do, again, I just want to encourage you, if you don't have any Christian music incorporated into your life, do that. Uh, And of course, corporate worship, which is singing uh, in church, is also a beautiful and necessary uh, form of worship. But I do want to clarify uh, that singing songs is not the only way to worship God. Do you remember what I read from John Piper's book, A Hunger for God, last week? Uh, Do you remember that Piper said, what we hunger for most, we worship? What we're chasing after, uh, that's what we worship. What we're spending our lives on, that's what we worship. And for some of us, that could be our career. For some of us, that could be our body. For some of us, that could be um, a hobby of ours. Like this is just, this is different for every single person. Uh, in that way. If God is not in that number one slot in our lives, then, then we're worshiping something else. So worship isn't just about um, worship music. Singing songs isn't the only way to worship God. In Romans 12 uh, verses one through two, it says, I appeal to you therefore by the mercies of God to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. So according to Matthew Henry's commentary on these verses, the progress of sanctification, dying to sin more and more, and living to righteousness more and more, is the carrying on of this renewing work Uh, until perfected in glory. This is a form of worship. And as we worship God, as he did for the disciples in his timing, according to his will and our need, God will often allow us to experience his love for us. And this God will use to equip us for ministry, a ministry that will require us to take up our cross and follow Jesus. so that concludes our podcast for today next week we're going to be reading chapters 11 and 12 of tim keller's book jesus the king and out of the gospel of mark we are going to be reading chapters 10 11 and 12 that's three chapters uh, out of mark's gospel so usually we've been doing one or two this week it's three again out of jesus the king it's chapters 11 and 12 And out of the Gospel of Mark, it's going to be Mark chapters 10, 11, and 12. Okay, so if at any point, again, as always, throughout the week, uh, you forget what we're scheduled to read, you can always check it out under the resources section of my website, amyonthehill.com. Also, as always, if you want to reach me at any point throughout the week with a question or comment about our reading, you can do that on social media. I am on Twitter. I am on Facebook. Uh, I think um that's it. Uh, <laughs> Twitter and Facebook. Um, oh, I'm also on Instagram. I knew there was something else. So you can you can reach me through social media or of course through email on my website amyonthehill.com. Last, as always, uh, I'm going to speak over you a benediction from Numbers chapter six verses 24 through 26. So please, in faith, receive this as a personal blessing over your life. Again, this is Numbers. Chapter six, verses 24 through 26. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace.